Welcome to First Presbyterian Church of Evanston. This Sunday's sermon was given by Senior Pastor, Rev. Dr. Ray Hilton. If you'd like more information about First Presbyterian Church of Evanston, please visit firstpresevanston.org. Our scripture reading tonight is from the Gospel according to John, chapter 13, verses 31 through 38, which you will find in the New Testament section of the Pew Bibles, beginning on page 102. Please join me in a prayer for illumination. God, our helper, show us your ways and teach us your paths. By your Holy Spirit, open our minds that we may be led in your truth and taught your will. Then may we praise you by listening to your word and by obeying it through Jesus Christ our Lord. Jesus had identified Judas Iscariot as the one who would betray him. Jesus said to Judas, do quickly what you're going to do. So Judas immediately left. John 13, beginning with verse 31. When he had gone out, Jesus said, now the Son of Man has been glorified and God has been glorified in him. If God has been glorified in him, God will also glorify him in himself and will glorify him at once. Little children, I am with you only a little longer. You will look for me, and as I said to the Jews, so now I say to you, where I am going, you cannot come. I give you a new commandment that you love one another. By this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. By this, everyone will know if you have love for one another. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, where are you going? Jesus answered, where I am going, you cannot follow me now, but you will follow afterward. Peter said to him, Lord, why can I not follow you now? I will lay down my life for you. Jesus answered, will you lay down your life for me? Very truly, I tell you, before the cock crows, you will have denied me three times. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. May the words of my mouth and the meditations of my heart be acceptable in your sight, O God, our strength and our Redeemer. Not long ago, I read a very provocative, provocative statement in a book I was reading, and the attribution stated anonymous, so I'm not sure who actually said these words, but I quote them to you, choice is the strongest principle of growth 
in our quest to follow the way of Jesus. Let me say that again. Choice is the strongest principle of growth in our quest to follow the way of Jesus. And what that says to me, what I think it means to me and maybe to you, is that the choices we make have the power to build us up or to break us down. The choices we make can alter the course of our lives, and I hope you will find that agreeable. On any given day, we find ourselves making very insignificant and mundane decisions that make hardly a ripple on the surface of our lives. For example, when we're in the supermarket, the person at the checkout might say to us, paper or plastic? Or you go to the ice cream store and they might ask you, do you want vanilla or strawberry? I often say both. <laughs> or you're at the restaurant and the person might say, do you want salt or pepper or salt and pepper? Those choices are, are, are mundane, they're insignificant. But there are choices that we're well aware of that are monumental. They have the power to reshape and affect us and others long into the future. For example, the choice to marry or the choice to stay single, the choice to forego higher education, the choice to save instead of spend every dollar, the choice to forgive one another or to carry resentment and unforgiveness, the choice to speak the truth or to speak a lie. And like in our case, the choice that we had to make to either move or to stay. I consider those to be monumental. And as people who follow Jesus, we must then ask constantly for wisdom from God so that we will choose the right path. Because as this anonymous person says, choice is the strongest principle of spiritual growth. And I find it, it's stunning in our Monday Thursday reading that there are three choices that are presented to us in our text. And let me just quickly go through them with you. Choice number one could be summed up this way. Will the disciples choose betrayal or allegiance? And as you know, the, the, the story rather well, Judas chose betrayal over allegiance. He betrayed Jesus with a kiss. But I think you will agree that long before he kissed Jesus, something else or someone else was reshaping his heart. And I went back to the beginning of our reading in John 13, and we're told this very, this very, grim statement that the devil had already put it into the heart of Judas, son of Simon Iscariot, to betray him. And then we're also told later on in the same chapter that Jesus was troubled in his spirit. And he finally said to his 12 disciples, very truly I tell you, one of you will betray me. And of course, the disciples looked around at each other uncertain of whom he was speaking, and one of his disciples, the one whom Jesus loved, was reclining next to him, leaning on him. And Simon Peter motioned to that disciple and said, ask him, to whom is he speaking? And so the disciple asked Jesus, Lord, who is it? And Jesus answered, it is the one to whom I give this piece of bread, which I have dipped into the dish, and so when he had dipped the piece of bread, 
he gave it to Judas, son of Simon Iscariot. And after he received the piece of bread, we're told again, Satan entered into him. And Jesus said to him, do quickly, do quickly what you're going to do. So whenever we talk about choice, we must also talk about responsibility because every decision, every choice that we make carries responsibility, carries consequences. So we could ask the question then, who is responsible? Do we fix the blame on the devil? And of course, the devil is always doing works of darkness, tempting, luring, trying to turn our minds in a negative direction, but the devil doesn't have the power to compel us to choose or to act. And so we would conclude then that the choice rests with Judas. Judas chose to betray Jesus long before he kissed him. Judas's role, one writer said, in the role, Judas's role in the divine plan was not something apart from his own desire. Judas was not a robot. Judas was not pre-programmed to betray Jesus against his will. Judas freely chose to do what he did and was fully accountable for his actions. What that means to me, and it should mean to you, is that Judas was on the front row. He had access to Jesus. He heard all of Jesus' sermons. He saw all of Jesus' miracles just about. Judas had a very responsible role in Jesus' team. He was the chief accountant. Judas's betrayal, though, reveals his true character, says New Testament scholar Daryl Bach. It reveals his true character and shows that standing close to Jesus does not in itself guarantee spiritual success if the heart is not aligned properly to God. There was another choice, choice number two, and we could sum it up this way. Will the disciples choose denial or affirmation? Denial or affirmation. Have you ever compared Peter's affirmation of Jesus and Peter's denial of Jesus? Take some time. Look at what Peter said in the Gospel of Mark. Jesus was at Caesarea. And Jesus said to the disciples, who do people say that I am? Peter was the only one who got the clear clear answer. He said, you are the Christ, the Son of the living God. What a powerful affirmation. And yet, from the mouth of the same person, standing outside the home of Caiaphas, aren't you one of his followers? I don't know the man. Think about that. How could the same person say such polar opposite statements? I think the answer might be that Peter wilted under the pressure and the threat of death or physical harm. Peter wilted. William Barclay said that he never really meant to do it, 
Peter was swept away by the moment of weakness, and in that moment of pressure, his will was too weak, even though his heart was right. What it says to me and what it should say to you is that those of us who call ourselves disciples, we are a complex bunch. One minute we're singing, I love you, Lord, and I lift my voice to worship and to praise you, and the next minute we're saying something that is the opposite of that acclamation. And so when we contrast Peter with Judas, as Daryl Bach says, it might be better to speak of denial of nerve versus denial of the heart. And so we would give Peter that denial of nerve and we would attribute to Judas a denial of the heart. But I want you to know that there is a third choice that we who are in the upper room with Jesus tonight are being invited to embrace. Will the disciples choose love or apathy? Now notice what Jesus says, and we heard it in the reading. I give you a new commandment, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also should love one another. And you could then stop there and ask why. Why should I choose love? And Jesus says, because by this, everyone will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. On Tuesday, this past Tuesday at our staff meeting, we read this same text as part of our devotional, and the question that was posed was, how did Jesus love his disciples? Because Jesus says, love one another as I have loved you. Now, this is before he got to the cross, and most of us would say, well, clearly he loved them by giving himself as a sacrifice on the cross. Well, that hasn't happened yet. He said, the hour has come where I'll be glorified before the Father, but it hasn't come yet. So how did Jesus love his disciples? And we got all kinds of interesting answers. Jesus called them. They didn't call him. Jesus was patient with them. Jesus taught them. Jesus forgave them. Jesus was willing to accommodate their doubts and their fears, and he just kept walking with them through the, the hills and the valleys of their discipleship. Someone wrote that rather than a record of exemplary discipleship, they misunderstood Jesus repeatedly, failed in ministry. They were fearful. They were forgetful. They squabbled among themselves about power. They refused to wash one another's feet. They fell asleep as Jesus was agonizing in prayer in dark Gethsemane. And then when the moment came when he really needed them, as we read, as we've read, they completely deserted him. A litany of failures. You know, I've never come across a, a book, a how-to book, with a title like Discipleship, the Simon Peter Way. I think we can be fairly confident that that book will never be written. Peter is an example 
of the ups and downs of discipleship. But isn't it wonderful to know tonight that although the disciples deserted their Lord, their Lord never deserted them. Isn't it wonderful to know that even though they denied him and they betrayed him, Jesus never stopped loving them. He never stopped calling them his disciples. Only Judas willfully refused to turn and repent. And so when Jesus was on the Mount of Ascension, the commission to go into all the world and make disciples was given to only 11 disciples. And then I went to the end of John's Gospel. The crucifixion and the resurrection are past. The disciples have said, well, what are we going to do? He's gone. Let's go back to fishing. Jesus comes back to a very, very familiar spot by the Sea of Galilee. And I was thinking to myself as I was preparing this that my mind went back to 2019 when a group from our church visited the Holy Land. And we visited the church of the primacy of St. Peter at Tabga. It's located on the northwest shore of the Sea of Galilee. You walk outside of the church, you walk down a few paces, and you're literally standing in the water. It was at this location that Jesus put on an apron. As we say in Jamaica, he scaled the fish, gutted it, lit a fire, and started to cook breakfast. Because out on the sea, you, 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 you can't see them right now. There may be just a dot out on the sea, but they're coming closer. Peter and his friends are coming back from a night of fishing. Peter, because of his denial of Jesus three times, I think Peter thought he was finished. He has now been, been marked as a fallen leader with no hope of return. And Jesus shows up with mercy and with tenderness to restore him. Now, if Jesus had said to him when he finally arrives on the shore, Peter, Peter, three years we've been together and you denied me? I can't believe you're so fickle. If that's what Jesus said, he would have been justified to write Peter off. But Jesus didn't lead with those words. Instead, three times, Three times Jesus said, Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Peter, do you love me? Of all the things that Jesus could have said to these renegade disciples, he spoke to them about love. It's been over 30 years that I stood to repeat my ordination vows. And over those 30 years, I've had the privilege of leading our elders and our deacons to repeat their ordination vows. Some of you are here in the time that I've been at First Prayers, and you've responded to this question, will you serve the people with energy, imagination, and love? 
Why love? Why love? There are many reasons why, and I'm going to share them with you as we go to the communion table. Why love? Because God is love. And everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. Why love? Because love is stronger than hate and apathy. Why love, Pastor Ray? Because love covers a multitude of sin and failure. Because love binds us together with cords that can never be broken. Because love never ends. Because love is the fulfillment of the greatest commandment. Why love? Because love bears all things, believes all things, hopes all things. Love never die. Love sustains passion. Love sustains faithfulness. Love provides the right motivation. And if you were here on Ash Wednesday, we talked about the wrong motivations for prayer and for dwelling in God's word and for giving and for fasting. Love provides the right motivation for all of these Christian practices. And as followers of Jesus, friends, I want you to hear me on this. As followers of Jesus, there will come a night where we will sit where Judas sat, where Peter sat. There will come a moment when we will find ourselves in hot water, pressure, challenge, difficulty, where a choice needs to be made. And I urge you, as I urge myself, that it's in those moments of pressure where we're being tested and broken that we discover who we really are. And I'm praying that in those moments, you and I will choose to love the Lord our God. No matter the cost, to love the Lord our God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength, and to love our neighbors the way we love ourselves. That we will hear the invitation of that great Old Testament servant of God, Joshua, when he said, choose ye this day. And he stepped out first and said, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. It's this kind of love that holds back and pushes back on spiritual anemia. What happened to the church in Ephesus? They were doing a lot of great things. And Jesus finally says, but I have this against you. You've lost, you've lost the juice. You've lost the life-giving juice. You've lost your love. Come back to first love. Come back to first love. May that be true for us tonight. We would come back to the love of God as we seek to practice the way of Jesus in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. God's people say. Amen. So would you stand with me then, and you don't need to leave your aisle, but just turn to the person behind you in front of you 
and if you would then exchange with that person the peace of Christ. Let's do that. Peace be with you, Amanda. On this night, you are invited to break bread together with one another. All are invited to this table. This is not First Prez's table or a Presbyterian table. It is our Lord Jesus Christ's table. In just a few moments, we will partake of the Lord's Supper. This evening, we will have two stations. One has the traditional um, cup and uh, cup and element together, as we have been partaking for the last while, uh, prepackaged. We also some of those are traditional, and some of those are gluten free. If you are seeking the gluten free option, please do ask for it. Uh, we will also have a station with uh, fresh bread and uh, a fresh cup. Um, and so you can choose to take the cup and we can hand you a piece of the bread um, and you can may partake in that way as well. Uh, please do hold the elements and we will join together and partake of those once everyone has returned to their seats. The Lord be with you. Lift up your hearts. Let us give thanks to the Lord our God. Meek and majestic God, you set aside the perfection of your Trinitarian life to create the universe. And you called the children of Abraham to be your priestly kingdom. You gave your people freedom in the parting of the sea and marked them for life with the blood of the Lamb. In Jesus, you laid aside the robe of your majesty and knelt among your children, facing humiliation and rejection. In his agony in the garden and suffering on the cross, you showed the world the extent of your love and your longing to bring us home to the throne, where we shall join angels and archangels and all the company of heaven, praising your holy name in the unending hymn. Holy, holy, holy Lord. God of power and might, heaven and earth are full of your glory. Hosanna in the highest. Blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. Hosanna in the highest. Self-giving God, in Jesus you became the lamb who takes away the sins of the world and the living bread broken for the life of your children. Come among us in the power of your Holy Spirit that your people as fragile and fitful as your disciples may become your temple and that these gifts of bread and wine may be for us the body and the blood of your Son, our Lord Jesus Christ, who at supper with his disciples took bread, gave you thanks, broke the bread, and gave it to them, saying, Take, eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took the cup. 
Again, he gave you thanks and gave it to the disciples, saying, Drink this, all of you. This is my blood of the new covenant, which is shed for you and for many for the forgiveness of sins. Do this as often as you drink it in remembrance of me. Great is the mystery of faith. Christ has died. Christ is risen. Christ will come again. Blessed and broken God be among your people who taste the bitter herbs of slavery and oppression. Be close to your children who are poured out in grief and despair. Remake the church, your son's body, where it is broken by discord and dispute. And renew your creation in the joy of thanksgiving. Spread your table in the face of friends and enemies that all may know your peace and gather in the company of your saints, where you, in the presence of Christ and the companionship of the Holy Spirit, are all in all, one God, now and forever. Amen.